Welcome to Talk 30 to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30-somethings on life. My kid is an asshole. Love. Did I tell you about the girl? twice in a week. And the never-ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turd. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. Welcome to 30. Uh, we're sitting here at Talk 30 to Meet with Jace Barron. Should have introduced you prior uh, to setting you up, but you, you've you <laughs> now crossed the threshold. Like, what? How, how does it feel like? Welcome to the club, first and foremost. But Thank how does you. it feel to be a part of the 30 Club? Um, I feel like my 20s were great, but they were also exhausting. Um, I feel like I just graduated from high school, college again. Um, at turning 30? At turning 30. Yeah, it was very... My 20s were a lot. Um, in good and bad ways. And so I think turning 30 kind of like mentally prepared me for the next level of what's going on my, with my life. So sure. it was good. It was really tasty. I have no kids, like you said. I'm not married at all. So it's good. What do you want to do with your 30s? Have you put together a plan? Because a lot of people will sit down, they'll reflect. So mm-hmm. for it sounds like you have reflected upon your 20s, right? They're I crazy. have. I had no choice to. <laughs> so explain that. Explain that. No, there's no plan. I think I was actually talking about this the other day because I, when I turned 25, you kind of realize like, oh shit, I'm about to be 30 in five years. Let me try to present myself a certain way and prepare mm-hmm. myself for this next decade of my life. And I think that within the last six months or so, I kind of realized like, I don't care. Mm. Like, I'm just going to like just do this every single day and just live my best life. And that's kind of what it is. And so that's like the biggest thing. I think I was so calculated with my late 20s about what I needed to do and what 30 looked like for me and what I wanted to kind of do with my goals and objectives. And so turning 30, I was like, fuck it. Like, I'm here. I'm doing a great job. I've accomplished a lot in my 20s. And I'm just going to continue to do that and just live my best life every day and not worry about everything else. <laughs> so le- leading up into your to 30, actually, uh, you did a lot in your 20s, as, as you said. What were some of the things that you've done so far? Um, I'm a published author. I'm about to be a published author again, um, hopefully this year, if not early next year. Um, I wrote and produced a pilot that is now in post-production right now. Um, I did a lot of stuff for the LGBT community globally. Um, we did Kiss and Tell Radio. We have a podcast right now that comes out every single week. Um, yeah, it was. I graduated college. I was drunk a lot, had great times. <laughs> Check out my Facebook, my Instagram. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good time. That's, I mean, that's a lot to accomplish in, in just your 20s. And now in your 30s, you know, some of the stuff is carrying over. You're doing a second book. What, what would you say was, well, actually, I want to take a step back. Your book was called Absolutely Me. Mm-hmm. What, that sounds like something that you would write leading into your 30th uh, birthday kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So you wrote that when? I so the funny story is I started writing that book in college. Oh, um, and I wrote maybe half of a chapter, and I emailed it to myself, and then I forgot about it. Fast forward to me living in New York, probably about two thousand, maybe late two thousand twelve. I found it, um, stumbled upon it, and at the time in my life, I was dating this dude or I had just ended mm. and I was just like all right well this makes sense for like the end of what I was kind of going through when I yeah. wrote this initially when I was 19 years old and so it was a whole coming of age story and it was kind of just eye-opening for me um, reading it 
reading myself mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, okay, this is like a conclusion to like what I'm dealing with now. So I spent three months, I quit my job at the restaurant and I spent three months writing this book and this novel kind of um, a representation of me because I don't want to put, there's people who are in the book that uh, are famous or whatever and I didn't want the story to be like a tell-all. Mm-hmm. I'm not like the Housewives of Atlanta, let me like expose these people. It was more of like, oh, this is the story that people could relate to. So I made it into a novel based on my experiences versus a biography or a memoir. And so, yeah, that's kind of kind of what it was. And I kind of came to that point when it came to my sexuality and dating around 26 or so. And so I think that's when I wrote the book. Or finished it at least. So walk me through the process of writing a book. And before you do that, walk me through your mindset of deciding, yeah, I, I want to write a book. Um, so the process, so everything in my life that I accomplished, I just kind of like learned to do. Like with this whole script thing, I was approached by a network to, hey, want, you want you to write a script. So I downloaded a program, wrote the script in like two <laughs> days, and I just learned how to do it. Um, same thing with the book. I wanted to write a book and I didn't want to actually like shop around for an agent or a literary agent or anything like that. So I literally just started writing and I wrote on Google Docs and I wrote, 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 and it just kind of happened. I felt like I had a story um, that could be uh, kind of universal to everyone, whether their sexuality, whether their ethnicity, because we all kind of come of age, whatever that may look like. Mine was you know, being a pastor's kid, going to a Christian school in California, raised in a very like white neighborhood, but being black, but then being gay. And then this is all these different elements that kind of maybe marginalized as a person. And then me kind of overcoming those things, especially when it came to dating. And so, and kind of figuring out what that meant for me, because, you know, you grow up, you like, oh, okay, well, I can't get married. So I'm just in a party because it's illegal. It became legal at three years ago. Mm-hmm. And so kind of just rerouting and like kind of restructuring your mindset to kind of live a quote unquote normal life with what your existence looks like. So, but it was, it was a fun process. It was kind of emotionally exhausting um, at some points. Yeah, I bet. But uh, it was good and I'm happy that I did it and I'm, it's my first book and I'm proud of it and I'm ready for the next one. So I question, because I feel like this is like a common theme with our generation, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's necessarily because of the people we surround ourselves with in, in particular, or if it's just because of circumstance, but being a self-starter, like I'm just going to write a book. I'm going to figure out how to write a script. Um, is that something that has always been part of your makeup or is that something that was kind of forced upon you? Um, no, I mean, kind of, but I think more of being aggressive with it came with college. So when I went to school at Cal State Fullerton in Orange County and I studied communications. So while I was in school, I was like, all right, I'm going to get this intern. So I interned at Bravo. I interned at so many different PR companies and I wanted to do entertainment behind the scenes. And when I graduated, they're like, okay, well, there's no more jobs left because the recession and everyone's oh, poor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so <laughs> I kind of uh, had to figure out, all right, cool. I graduated college. I got this degree that's essentially worth nothing to me. Um, great times, but I still owe $30,000. I need to pay these rent. I need to pay back these loans. And so I kind of started doing things and figuring out how to make money. I think our generation, like you said, kind of has that mentality with like Snapchat and Facebook and all these different apps because we can't go the traditional routes that our parents set up for us. 
Um, we can't now because the economy is a little better, but at that time, 2008 to like 2011, we kind of had to figure things out on our own. And so that was kind of the oomph that made me kind of go the more of the entrepreneur route because when I graduated, I wanted my cubicle desk and my mm. my um, awards and you know my promotions from my boss. And I wanted to be a boss kind of in the system of corporate America, but that didn't happen. But the rent still do. So what are we going to do to figure this out? And so that's kind of where that came from. So you're taking a conventional lifestyle, trying it out, didn't work out. Well, I didn't even start. You, you didn't. It, we didn't have the opportunity to start. Right. That's a problem. That's the most frustrating thing. But a lot of people flailed. A lot of people were like, "Oh shit, what do I do?" Mm-hmm. Everything right now is kind of at a standstill. Two thousand eight, nine, ten. That's where we were at. We were a product of our environment, right? We touch on this a lot. It's kind mm-hmm. of the theme uh, of our generation. Our defining moment of sorts. Yeah, very mm-hmm. much uh, a defining moment. And a lot of us were trying to figure out what to do. A lot of us are still trying to figure out what to do. Hello. I don't think that qualifies. You qualify as still trying to figure out what you want to do. You very much know what you want to do, but it's just trying to establish yourself in a way where you're kind of right now in a foundational building state, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to layer on top of that more things and, and trying to throw out kind of a lot of lines and seeing what sticks and seeing what's going to take you to that next level. Yeah. Do you That's- think that? Um, yes and no, because it's funny because people ask me like, oh, what do you do for a living? And mm-hmm. right now I'm completely freelance. Mm-hmm. Um, freelance everything. Freelance everything. <laughs> so if you want me to come speak at your engagement, if you want me to be the, I did PSAs for the CDC, I've done, um, you what, know, what work. have you done for the CDC? Like what PSA? Uh, this was a PSA called Start, hold on, let me get this right. <laughs> Start Talking Stop HIV. And it was basically a PSA that was gearing towards having conversation um, with men of color who are having sex with men and kind of having dialogue about sexual health and, mm. you know, uh, prevention and TASP mm-hmm. and what it means to be HIV positive and negative wow. and what is, um, you know, undetectable mean, all these types of things, PrEP, all that jazz. How do you find that? How, like, they found you? They or? found me, yeah. Wow. I, I have a so, <laughs> so funny story. So I have a lot of... Uh, I guess following on, on social media because I was a train wreck in West Hollywood. And so I would just be at parties like, add me, add me. Yeah, yeah, I'll follow you back. And so like I kind of just met a lot of people just raging and like partying. And mm-hmm. um and I was also in LA and I lived in New York, the two biggest cities in America. Yeah, yeah. And so I was able to kind of network my way, not even network, but just kind of just be myself in these spaces where I was just very social and having a good time. So people started following me and my work. And so those, you know, we see nowadays people are not hiring actors or people like that. They're hiring influencers yeah. to do these work. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think the, that was, not the, was it the biggest campaign I've done at the CDC? It may have been. I think I, it was in magazines. It was all over the internet. Sounds big. Television. Sounds yeah, really big. Stuff. Yeah. So it was, it was good. Um, I should have been paid more, but yeah. <laughs> you live and learn, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to being 30. Hello. It's all about that. Right, know your worth and then attack. Exactly, <laughs> right. <laughs> so the one thing, I think it, it, it's a common theme when you go through your 20s, I, trying to get your legs underneath you in terms of speed, how fast you accomplish things, how fast you do things. Do you find it now... Um, do you find now that you're taking a different approach in terms of slowing yourself down, being a little bit more methodical, 
um, putting forth a little bit more mindfulness in making decisions. Now that you're entering 30, do you think that will be a theme or are you going to just keep blazing through like you did your 20s? Uh, no. No. <laughs> uh, I'm very, I'm not going to say impatient, but I'm very, uh, if I want something done, I'll get it done. With this pilot that we just filmed, I got the, um, I guess, offer in October, wrote, wrote the script in two days, and we filmed it in January. So I taught myself how to write a script. I did the script. We filmed it, and I wanted it in my hand by Valentine's Day, at least wow. a rough draft. Wow. That's next week, and it's going to happen. So I'm very um, – I think – with me as a, I'm a, I'm a very impatient person, and if I want something done, I'll figure out how to do it. And I don't think there's any excuses for me. And I must say, I I enjoy. I'm realistic with those goals, but with the methodical part of it, I do think that there's an element of kind of tying that in with the timeline and the deadline. Because as entrepreneurs, I'm my own boss, so I don't have someone telling me, you know, hey, on July 25th, this needs to be done, or you know, this needs to be done by Friday. I have to do that. For myself. Right. And, and the so same you breath, might, you don't have someone reminding you, hey, this needs to get done next Tuesday. Right. I have Google calendars. They're great because <laughs> I put all the notes. Yeah, like, but I have you can alerts. easily delete that email reminder from Google Calendar and say, I never saw this. Right. But that's not you. But it's not me. Right. I, I try. Actually, mm, for some things it is. Um, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> let, me, let me not lie. <laughs> yeah, of course. You got to pick and choose what matters to you, mm-hmm. right? And that's I very think, important. Yeah. I think with, in particular with this pilot, this is the first thing I've done on a scale to, there's so many people involved. Cause usually I'm, I wrote a book by myself. I self-published. I did all those things kind of like solo dolo. So I wasn't really, people were not relying on me with this. I'm executive producer. I'm writer. And so people are looking at me for direction. And so therefore I kind of need to be more on my, my game. Cause there's other people that are involved. I have to consider them. So can you talk to us about the pilot? Or yeah, of course. It? Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, I'm not going to see which numbers because we're shopping it around. But uh, it's basically about this. So if you guys watch television, you see that a black gay character is typically either a hyper flamboyant. Hyper dude, flamboyant. Yeah, yeah, just wearing pastels and being a hair assistant mm-hmm. for the Housewives of Atlanta. Or they have like the DL dude who's like wearing rope chains that was like 50 cent, but in secret he's like fucking men and then he has a girlfriend on the side that he's lying to. Those are the two stereotypes that we see with black gay men. So I wanted to write, and that's not the only two narratives, just like any other race. Can you believe that? No. You mean Hollywood is lying to me? Lying to you, like (laughs) straight to your face. Like every time you go to the movies and turn on Bravo, they're lying to you. Um, So I kind of wanted to write a script where the lead was a black gay character and he's surrounded by kind of kooky people. So his mother is kind of like really uh, homophobic, but she's funny. And so it kind of plays a role on just a normal ass dude's existence who just happens to date men. And mm. so that's kind of the premise. And so there's a lot of his best friends crazy. He is as girlfriend very like supportive um, of his new sexuality. She's engaged now, so it kind of plays on a lot of different themes. And like, you know, there's even as uh, being gay, we get a lot of shit from the black community. And so I wanted to kind of play on those different narratives as well because. Black is beautiful unless you're gay or trans or part of the LGBT spectrum. Wow, is that a thing, really? Absolutely. Black respectability. We were talking about that last show on uh, mm-hmm. the, our own podcast, Guess Until Radio, where we were talking about even dating. And 
the idea of bringing a trans woman home to your family or bringing someone who's not, you know, black home. And there's a lot of different um, things, like, because a church is very engraved in uh, black culture. Yeah, yeah. And so even me being a Baptist kid, I was raised to think that I was an abomination and I was going to hell. And so you see all these suicide rates and you see all these quote unquote DL dudes. And that's because people kind of don't, they're not, I guess, brought up in a supportive environment to just be themselves. And so there's a lot of different things. And I always commend people. People always say, oh, you came out, da 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 And like, it's not an easy lifestyle. Yeah. Once you do that, you know, even bisexuality, you know, there's, once you say, hey, I, I dabble with men mm-hmm. as a black man, no woman is probably not going to want you, at least a black woman. And so there's a lot of fragile masculinity out there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of different uh, social stigmas that kind of play in our lives that we just kind of live with every single day. But no one wants to talk about it because we're housewives of Atlanta's, you know, stylists <laughs> and hairstylists right. and it's fabulous. And we go to WeHo and drink our shooters and, you know, that's what people think that it is. So growing up as a pastor's kid, mm-hmm. where did where does religion live for you now or how does it kind of play into your life? Um, so I go to church sometimes mm-hmm. and thankfully I do believe in God. Um, and I was raised to know that before the church and religion and God or church religion, there was God and my relationship with him is most important. Mm-hmm. So when I was a young, you know, 19, 20 year old kind of going through my own thing and my own battles in my head, cause I was always very public with everything in my life. Um, but this is one thing that I was very private about. And I did not want to tell anybody because of my reputation. I was like the mm-hmm. prom king. I was at mm-hmm. college. I no was shit. like, oh, yeah, I was just out. Um, but when it came to who I was interested in and the, their um, sexuality, I just kept that to myself. And I remember, you know, just kind of praying, trying to pray it away. And, you know, I remember the situation where my um, mother found out that I had dabbled with somebody, dabbled, mm-hmm. um, like two years prior. And at the time, I was dating a girl. And well, so, how old were you? Like high school? Um, no, this is all in college. Okay, so I had left the the nest. Mm-hmm. I had my own little my room in Cal State Fullerton, so I could do whatever I wanted in it. And um, <laughs> that sounded scandalous. Uh, it was. Read the book. Um, <laughs> Shameless plug. I got you, I got right. Amazon.com five stars. Uh, but yeah, I just I think I was. It was a battle between probably like nineteen years old, and then I finally told my parents when I brought my boyfriend home and I I was 24 at the time. Wow. When I came back from New York. That's when you came out? Uh, to my parents, to yeah. I never really came out to my friends. I was just like, hey, this is my girlfriend. All right, no, this is my boyfriend. So like, I never really like had that like sit down like, all right, because straight people Does that happen? Out. That doesn't happen. Does it happen? Some people. what happen. Where you Coming sit out, down and you just kind of organize it that way. It just kind of happens, right? I, I've and seen people natural. like, well, social media now I think plays a big role. Because uh-huh. like people are like, all right, it's my Facebook status. Hey, everybody. I'm gay. Da 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 da. Like, but I never had like a let me like gather all my friends and tell them that I, I am sucking dick. Like that <laughs> never ever happened. No, except so, for now. Now it happened. That's just I don't know. It was happening, but there was no like formal like No, I think what he's saying is this is the formal this announcement. Is yeah, oh, welcome. Hey friends. <laughs> I, I think we've had a breakthrough on our right. show. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Can we take credit for it? You can't take it. It's history. <laughs> That's awesome. It's always been kind of that curious element for me. I've known a lot of, you know, gay people and I don't think I've ever really sat down and asked them like, how did it happen? Mm -hmm. For me, 
how do you transition to that? I don't think you transition into that. It's always been you. Mm-hmm. You just don't realize it until you realize it. Right. But for you, it was like you mentioned, you tried to pray it away. You were trying to suppress that part mm-hmm. of you. Ooh, it's a dark space. How Ooh. hard was that for you? Um, I'm not going to say it was suicidal, but like there was just definitely like very, very low moments. Wow. And, and it's not rare at all. You know, you think about people who are out there and you look at the the death rate in LGBT teens out there and it's like horrible and even homelessness. You know, mm-hmm. the highest homeless rate of youth are LGBT. And because they're, the, the younger generation has a lot and I have a lot of respect for them. They're a little obnoxious, but they have such a good <laughs> grasp on like who they are at such yeah. a young age. Mm-hmm. I was clueless. I was just really? like, hey, I'm living my life. Da, 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 but I have these feelings, but I'm going to suppress them. And I actually remember just, I remember just like going out of the way. I remember this dude I was messing with in uh, in college my freshman year. And like he tried to add me on Facebook and I blocked him. I was like, well, you're not part of my life. Like we do what we do. I drive to Claremont and we do our thing and then I leave. And we were, mm. I guess, kind of dating for six months. And so like you, I remember he, I found out he knew someone at my school. So oh, I'm like wow. freaking out. Yeah. Like, oh my God, he's going to tell my secret. And so you have to deal with like stupid stuff like that mm. because you don't even, you can't come to terms with yourself. Yeah. And so it was, it's, it's difficult. And I commend everybody because people say, oh, good for you. And like how you said, like you don't, I guess, ask people. I don't ever recommend, you know, the straight community to ask people like, are you gay? Are you gay? Because people have to do it on their own times. And yeah. it's a lot more like mental work mm-hmm. than people expect it to be. Like, oh, just live your truth. We accept you. But like, you have to accept yourself first. Yeah. And then if you don't come from a supportive background or a home, like mm-hmm. that just makes it even harder, I would assume, to embrace that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. My, I mean, me and my mom are good now, but that transition was very difficult but now she's like oh my son is at the white house for world aids day and you know it's just great and you know yeah jace baron look him up like she's <laughs> super supportive now but she was not always that way you alluded to something in regards to the younger generation and how they're really confident in who they are as a person and now they're able to really embrace that and grow with it and live with it at a much younger age than you were able to do you feel like they are a product of our doing in terms of you and the LGBTQ community paving the way for them to step up and taking that active approach in who you are and owning who you are as a person in, in every aspect. Absolutely. And I do think that they need to get more credit. And our generation gives needs to get credit to people like Silver Rivera mm. and people who all the people who are fighting the fight back in the eighties in New York for rights as trans people, as LGBT people, mm-hmm. when it was first coming, like the AIDS epidemic, like all the different things are huge movements. And I think a lot of people who are part of the LGBT spectrum, or whatever you want to call it, QIA, XYZ, P squared. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a whole, I don't even keep up anymore, to be honest. Is it is it wrong to not be PC in your shoes, or are there not PC gay people? Uh, there's a lot of everybody. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. And like for me, yeah, for me, like I say LGBT and it stops there. But there's also things like is the T part of the LGB part because LGB is sexuality. The T transgender is is gender. Gender, right. Right. And so I guess people didn't really know how to group it in their heads. So they just kind of made it one big lump. Like, Mm. oh, you guys are all just the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's definitely our own, uh, I guess, conflicts in the LGBT community as well. But kind of going back to the kids, there's a lot of history that 
you know, what nationality are you, or ethnicity are you guys? Or nationality too. I'm American, but my parents yeah, were from like, the Middle East. We were Palestinian. East, okay. Yeah. Mexican. Right. So you guys are pretty familiar with those different like ethnicities and like the history mm-hmm. behind it, right? Yeah. The cultural limitations and all that. Right. You know? mm-hmm. I wasn't raised by gay parents or a gay family. Mm-hmm. So the LGBT history, I didn't find out till I was in my 20s. And that's because I f- went to go search for it. Yeah. So a lot of people are not raised who are LGBT that fall on that spectrum, they are more comfortable with being out there and, you know, living their lives, but they don't necessarily acknowledge or recognize that the people before them paved the way and, you know, all the fights and marches and deaths that happened for them to live in the truth. There's a lot that went on. And so I think that it's great that they're living in the truth, but I definitely want to acknowledge uh, the people who kind of became, that came before even me that allowed that to happen in this country. Now I want to, I want to kind of move on from, from this, cause I know your entire identity isn't wrapped up in, <laughs> in, in this, mm-hmm. uh, what do we call it? I don't know what to call it. What? Sexuality. What sexuality. Yeah. Your entire, okay. So who I, I like, right. <laughs> I want to move on from this cause I know your entire identity isn't wrapped up in, in your sexuality, but I want to move into the idea. So in your twenties, you did a lot of different things from, from the writing, from the, uh, from the podcast to the film stuff right you you are part of the slash generation right you you're writer slash author slash whatever in your 30s do you see yourself continuing that kind of movement or do you feel like you're gonna move into an area of mastery or do you think that everything that you were part of is gonna lead up to just one large like creation that you're gonna put forth i think i am a master of the slash movement Mm -hmm. i think that i never wanted to put myself in a bubble and realizing post-college when I didn't get what I wanted with my corporate job, I kind of wanted to explore more with what my talents looked like. And so if it makes sense, I want to do it. Mm. I wanted to produce a show. I never thought saw myself as a screenwriter at all ever in life, but the opportunity came and I took it. So I taught myself how to do it. And that's mm. something that we're working on right now with the book. I mean, there's just so many different things that have come my way that were not necessarily planned. And I don't want to ever pigeonhole myself into um, one thing. Yeah, one thing mm-hmm. ever. I think I, and I have a lot of potential. And if I could spread that out creatively as much as I want to, why not? Just have you ever me. just have, pay me? <laughs> <laughs> on that note, have you ever turned anything down because it wasn't the right fit for you? So have you heard of The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes? Yeah. Shonda Rhimes, yeah, the year of the yes book, now. right? Yeah, the year was the book. So Shonda Rhimes owns Thursdays, Thursday uh, Prime Time. So she does Scandal, uh, How to Get With Murder, yeah. and uh, was it Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. And so she wrote a book called The Year of Yes, where basically she talked about saying yes to everything for a year. Mm-hmm. So that's speaking engagements, um, different opportunities. I was the year of no, because I was saying yes to everything. Like, no matter what it was, I was like, yes, I'm going to support my community. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. But I had to take a step back and just start saying no because I was emotionally exhausted. I was tired. And sometimes people don't want to pay the amount I want to get paid. Yeah. And so I have just kind of implemented that no probably as of last year uh, where I turned down gigs that just didn't align with what I saw myself doing mm. so but that's just a fairly new concept because before i was just like yes 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 because mm-hmm. when i'm scared it's like shit 
again, the rent is still due on the first. Right. So I need to do this gig to, you know, make ends meet. Right. Or I need to do, th- even though it doesn't really align with what I want to do, I don't agree with the organization, I would do it just to do it, just to yeah. make a coin. It's funny because when I turned 30, I told myself, you know, I'm just going to say yes to whatever comes my way and I'll figure it out as I go. Mm-hmm. And now I've gotten to myself into a position where I have a lot of work and there's other things that I want to do, but I really want to just double down on some of the things that I really piqued my interest the most that I really want to invest in until I'm like moving into my year of no. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, That's this great. year. It, or, or yes, but dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> I want to be polite. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, but. I was actually listening to the Audio in podcast. And that's a podcast that is produced by a couple of guys that one of which we met at um, yeah, Gee. PodCon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was Gee. And shout out to them. But. Not to take anything away from Guy, he wasn't on this episode. It was his partner that was talking about, co-host, I should say, that was talking about his 2018 and what he wanted to do in 2018 and how he wanted to approach it. And he said something that resonated with me in the sense that I'm going to pick, I'm going to look at my 2017 and what I have going on right now and just stick with that and get really good at all these things in 2018. And not take anything new on and just take what I've done right now and, and really just do it better, do it to the best of my abilities because I was taking too much on and that was kind of the, the overall message. I thought that was really cool. Like that resonated with me because I'm the same way. I took on way too much. I keep saying yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I think I'm entering my year of no as well. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons it, it wasn't that it's a unique mindset. It's it's just that, huh, a switch, a light bulb came on in my head and I was like, yeah, yeah, I got to stop because I'm not good at anything of what I'm doing. I'm just kind of mediocre. I want to focus on the next evolution of what I'm doing right now in what I'm already doing. Right? Absolutely. Is that kind of where you were at? Yeah, more absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Because um, it's, well, not funny, but I had written an article about uh, my experience being raped. And after that, there was a lot of. It took me a while to internalize it myself, like maybe a year or so. But after that, a lot of people wanted me to speak on it in public wow. spaces. And so my first, I, I, the article came out August 2016. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, when was it? Um, and I remember the next week I was flown to the state capitol to talk with Gloria Allred wow. on a press conference about uh, the sexual limitation on rape. It was SB. 813 and Governor Jerry Brown ended up signing the bill the next month. Um, so literally from that on, I felt like I had a diligence or a, a duty to help the community and drive the conversation. So I was saying yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And I did not take myself as a person into consideration at all. I was just like, this is what I'm doing. We're going we're gonna to have this conversation. We're going to make this work. And it took me out. I was big exhausted yeah, I, I can't even imagine yeah and i was sitting here and with cameras in my faces talking about the stuff that i went through as a person right and talking about it with um i guess a sense of like this is my job yeah and this is what i want to do and i literally probably took all of last year off really? like i kind of i moved out of la 
I went to Temecula with my parents and their 22 acres of land. And I just like defused because I was emotionally exhausted. So that was part of my year of no. My year of no was leaving Los Angeles and just kind of like regrouping myself and like, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. I turned 29. I was like, all right, it's my last year in my 20s. What does 30 and on look like? What I could give myself a pat on the back. Yay, Jace, you did it. Like you did great <laughs> jobs. Uh, but it just got to the point where I was just like, I'm tired. Like I need to like really just start saying no to things and I'm happier than ever right now. That's great. And it can, that's it, motivating. It, yeah. Yeah. And it gave me time to just like taking a break, gave me time to kind of reroute what I wanted in life. Yeah. Cause if you keep just saying yes, you yeah. don't have time to be like, all right, am I actually happy or am I just like kind yeah. of going with the motions? You don't have time to decompress and really take mm-hmm. it all in. Yeah. You're absolutely right. 100%. I, I think that's where I was at too. I was very unhappy, even though my 2017 wasn't bad mm-hmm. and it sounds like the last two years haven't been bad for you at all Mm-mm. you just didn't have time to enjoy you correct right absolutely yeah i'm, I'm there i'm there with you man yeah and that's funny because i, I, really I listened to your, the episode um where you guys talk about mental health and like the way that american society looks at work versus other countries and like the uh the perfect attendance award and like things mm-hmm. like that like we're like socialized you like work 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 don't, yeah. don't do anything and supply right. and sometimes you just need your mental health suffers from that mentality and so i minded and i'm not gonna say i was depressed but i was definitely in a very low place and so i kind of recognized that and i was like all right let me just take a step back and just kind of like figure out what jace looks like as a person versus a speaker author slash 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 yeah yeah so it was was good what did you find at the end of that year um i found that i i was already in the right direction but saying no to things that I that didn't align with me was important. Because at first I thought, I was like, I'm going to be behind the scenes. I'm not going to do any more camera work. I'm no, no more interviews. Like I was just very, very, um, I didn't want to be in the spotlight anymore. Let me have my boyfriend and my apartment in Riverside and my job at, at a clinic somewhere. Like mm-hmm. I didn't want to do any more of that. But I kind of realized that I enjoy it. But I didn't, yeah. wasn't enjoying it because I was just tired. Yeah. And so once I got my nap for a year, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is good. So, so this aligns. Yeah. Come back with a uh, moderation, a balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we keep talking about a lot of the same themes of being in your 30s, even crossing the threshold into your 30s. I think today one of the major themes that we could take away was shedding your your old self and becoming someone new in your 30s. And that's really that really aligns with your self-consciousness, right? And where you are from your 20s to your 30s and really taking a step back, appreciating who you were and now becoming someone not necessarily new, but an evolution of yourself in your 30s. We want to hear from you if that's ever happened. We want to hear if you've ever been bogged down by the cultural stigma of being yourself. How does culture influence you and the decisions that you've made in your life? How about setting the stage for you and your future? How about setting the stage for future generations? Have you impacted future generations at all with any decisions that you've made? Maybe you haven't thought about it, but you in fact have impacted siblings, cousins, family members, friends, and their kids. Share these stories with us if this has happened to you. Have you ever sat back and evaluated your self-worth in terms of opportunities, personal choices? Is this the year that you focus on you instead of trying to do it all? 
if any of these things apply to you, or even if they don't, you know someone that might have shared in any of these experiences, go ahead, call it out, share their story, share your story. We want to hear from you. We want to learn and grow together in our 30s as millennials, as part of this community. Jace, thank you so much for joining us on the show. What's the title of your book So people and, and where can they find it so people can go ahead and uh, get into it? Yeah, so the title is called Absolutely Me. Um, it's on Amazon. You can also check out my website, jacebaron.com, J-A-Y-C-E-B-A-R-O-N.com. Um, social media is all the same. It's all Jace Barron. Um, yeah, so amazon five stars if you guys buy the book and read it and like it please give me five stars um the podcast is also on itunes soundcloud reverie um consental radio so it's good and randy where can the people find you you can find me anywhere and everywhere at i am randy z and turg you can find me on instagram and twitter at turg says no thank you for subscribing to another episode of talk 30 to me we hope you enjoyed and continue to share it with friends. Make sure to stop by our website at talk30tome.com for more content and information about the podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you really like what you hear, make sure to leave us an awesome five-star review. For Talk 30 to Me, I'm Turg. And I'm Randy Z. Brace. <laughs>5 unread text messages what? Um, 4,875 emails and 42 voicemails that have not been attended to that's terrible yeah it's sad that's very I know I know I had an intern like wait this is too much I was gonna I was gonna transition um, which, which way were you gonna go um kind of handing on what he said about paving the earth. No. Oh yeah, fuck, I keep forgetting that. Alright, okay. Um, you can do it now and I can just... Yeah, you can. Yeah. Sorry, we produce as we go. And then yeah. the show notes as I, as I edit it. Yeah, <laughs> no, love it. <laughs> Again, Google is your friend, so you'll, you'll be able to find it.